and the 12th verse, I want to reflect on something the Lord impressed upon my heart last week as we were together. Always a joy and honor and a privilege to have Reverend Al Mango in the house, a lifelong friend of the family, and uh, we love him. We love all that he has done towards this house, and uh, Al and I are planning a trip to the foot, not the top, the foot of Mount Everest. It's always been on my bucket list. I don't want to climb it. I just want to touch it. And as I begin to speak, going to Nepal and going to India, uh, the door opened through Al for us to go. And uh, Terry Winters has been a part of the uh, Church of God missions uh, ministry for years and years and years. And she has invited us to speak. Is it over 20? 20 Bible colleges in the country of Nepal. I did not plan that in our original trip. The, the original trip was to go and to touch the mountain. I just want to touch Mount Everest and maybe climb maybe 500 feet. Whatever Al climbs, we'll, we'll, whatever he wants to climb, that's what we will do. And uh, we want to go to the base camp. It's 15,000 feet above sea level, and that's almost at, at zero temperatures there. And uh, so that's just something to, to be in prayer about. The Lord opens, looks like maybe February, March. We'll see how that goes. Uh, if we could start recording right now, Austin. If you have your Bible, go with me to Hebrews, the second chapter, and the 12th verse. Last week, the, or the two sessions that we've been together, we, talk, we talked about killing our giants. And as we talked about killing our giants, we realized that some of our giants aren't as big as they first appear to be. And I bring attention to the famous movie, 1938, The Wizard of Oz. Oz, the Wizard of Oz was portrayed as a horrible monster, a big booming voice. But when you went behind the curtain, it was just a little man that was using electronics and using gadgets to make him to appear to be more powerful and more authoritative. I remind you of Goliath. Goliath had some kind of sight impediment that he had to be led to the battle. He couldn't see straight. And so a lot of times what looks to be overwhelming is not overwhelming at all. And if you begin to look at your giants and, and define your giants, and then you begin to declare to your giant that the battle is the Lord's, the battle really is the Lord's. Last session, we looked at Genesis, the third chapter, and the fourth verse, where God asked a question. And ironically, uh, the very first verbal rhema word that we have from God, the very first rhema word in the book of Genesis is a question where God is asking Adam, where are you? Every day in the cool of the evening, God met with Adam and Eve, and there they visited, there they fellowshiped, there they talked about the day they had. It was uh, the, uh, the, um, the destiny, I guess, of Adam and Eve to name all the animals, name all the bugs, and to name all the fish and all the birds. That was kind of their agenda. And at the end of each day, they would meet with God, and they would talk, and they would visit, and they would fellowship, and uh, one day God went to where they usually meet, and they were there. And the first thing that came out of the mouth of man, the first statement in the Bible that we have recorded that man said was, I was afraid. God said, where are you? Adam said, I was afraid. And we talked last week a little bit about identifying your fears and talking to your fears and telling your fears about the things of God, the promise of God. In Hebrews, the second chapter, and I want to kind of explain where I'm going this morning. I want to share this scripture, 
and then I want to make reference to it, and then I, I want to leave something with you that I pray will be a blessing. These, uh, the, in Hebrews 2 and 12, these words should be in red uh, because it's the words of Christ saying, I will declare thy name unto the brethren in the midst of the church, blessing praises unto thee. Uh, I remember several years ago, probably 33 or 34 years ago, I was preaching my second revival, literally the second revival in a place called Cudahy, California, Bell, California, and I made the statement that I found God. And I went on to talk about, talk about that a little bit. At the end of the uh, service, we, I went out to eat with the pastor, and he said, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, God's not lost. He said, you were lost. God's not lost. And I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about the fact that not only is God not lost, but God makes himself very available to us. And God gives us his word that is full of him. In Psalms it says, what is his name and what is his son's name? And as you go from Genesis to Revelation, I will next week show you every book of the Bible where God appears and God identifies himself. But all the way through the Bible, we find God not hidden from us, but hidden for us. It is a joy to know that God hides things in there. The devil cannot grasp the word of God. When he quoted it, he misquoted it. He's, he's, his mind cannot relate to truth. So God hides things in his word for you to find things that he has for you and things that he wants to bless you with. And when you think about playing hide and seek, and I don't know if you've ever played that game. How many of you have never played hide and seek in your whole life? We want to mark you as a martyr and someone very weird because everybody has played hide and seek. You close your eyes, you run and hide, then someone tries to find you, and uh, usually I, I give up. I'll, I'll look, uh, Skylar will hide from me, and uh, I'll, I'll look for her, then I'll give up, and then she comes and reveals herself. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of, when you, when you realize that God is looking for you, and God wants to spend quality time with you, and, you know, we encourage each one to have that secret place, that, that cool place. My place is a window overlooking my garden, and I spend the first 10, 15 minutes of every day just listening. I don't talk a whole lot. I'll drink a cup of coffee. I'll brush my teeth. And then I'll just look out the window at my beautiful garden. Sometimes I see a hummingbird. Sometimes I see this weird-looking cat walking through my, my garden. I, and uh, I guess it's just some, somebody else's cat. I'm not going to feed it because it's ugly and I don't want it. But, but it's, it's amazing when you, set, when you set time aside, especially in the morning, and then you begin to ask God, what are you and I going to get into today? What, what, do, what do you want to do? What do you want to, what do you want to, you know, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And, in, and you start that day with the things of God, especially a good cup of coffee, not Folgers, but Caribou, the real deal coffee, and you begin to talk to the Lord. You'd be surprised how many things that God will say to you in that, in that cup of coffee. God is definitely into coffee, I'm here to tell you, that, uh, and, and he drinks it with cream like me. So, uh, but there's something about looking for God and finding God. In Hebrews 2, the word says that, that the Lord will declare the name of God in the church and he will sing. It's, it's neat to know this morning that while we were singing, hopefully this is not the only place you sing. Hopefully in your day you have your own music, you have your own worship, you have your own praise and worship, you have your favorite 
praise and worship CD or your, or your favorite station on the radio or your favorite program on television. Hopefully during the day you're singing, you're rejoicing, you're, you're enjoying the things of God. But as we meet on a Sunday morning to find God because he's not lost, aren't, aren't you glad that God's not lost? We are the ones that are lost, and he is the one that's out looking for us. And as we look, walk through the word of God, we find so many different ways he reveals himself. I shared with you last week that in Courtney's life, I am several things. First of all, I'm her father. I'm also her dad. Is there a difference? Absolutely. Any male can father a child. It takes a man to be a dad. And in the last days, the Bible said that there would be a reunion of dads and sons, dads and daughters. We know as we look at the divorce rate now in America, many kids are being raised without a dad, without that family. And, and if you have not had a healthy dad or a healthy husband in your life, you're not going to be able to grasp the importance and the significance and the love that God has for you. Rhonda and I both came from Leave It to Beaver families, literally. My parents, Rhonda's parents, are four of probably the most anointed, awesome people I have ever met. Of course, of course mom is in heaven, and, uh, but, but dad is in Florida. But I remember walking through the gears with my dad, the things that he would teach, the things that he'd reveal. We came home from school. Mom was always there. We had a hot meal every day, without exception. Mom cooked every single night at 5 o'clock, and if you weren't there at 5 o'clock, you didn't eat, because at 5.15, she put the dishes up, put the food in the icebox, and you were on your own. And that's a scary place to be, on your own. But when I, when I think about, when you talk about a God's love, when you say, for God so loved, I can comprehend and grasp that, because I have an example of a dad that, that demonstrated that love. The first love I ever encountered was probably the love of a dad and, and, and a mom. I would say that we would all agree. But if you came from a broken home or you came from a dad that maybe he was not a stand-up guy or maybe he and mom had gotten a fight and they divorced or separated and you really never had a relationship with a dad the way that Rhonda and I did, then that, that hurts. That's painful. And it's hard sometimes when you hear words like God loves you or your father loves you or, your, or Jesus loves you. If you come from a bad marriage, it's hard to grasp the fact the love of a husband or the love of a wife. But if you come from a healthy home, a healthy family, you can relate. Those of you that have come from broken homes and bad relationships, I'm going to help you rethink and retrain your mind to grasp and to encounter who God is. When God introduces himself there in Genesis, the first chapter, it said, in the beginning, Elohim. That word Elohim is plural. When the first verse of the Bible, we find the Trinity. Many people struggle with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They struggle with the three being one. And we know there's Father God. We know there's the Holy Spirit, Ruah. And the, the word in, in Hebrew, Ruah, is feminine, where we get the mom of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is the mom of the Godhead. Jesus is the Son. In order to, to explain the Trinity, and there are, there's a lot of crazy teachings out there that, that Jesus is the God, he is the Spirit, he is the, the problem that I have with that is the day that Jesus was baptized in the river, say in the river, God's voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. Everybody say God's voice in heaven. And then the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Everybody say in the form of a dove. There's the three, the three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you will look at an egg, in that egg, there is the shell of the egg, there's the yolk of the egg, and there's the white of the egg. 
There are three different entities, but the three are one. Does that make sense? When you look at the apple, you have the skin of the apple, the core of the apple, the meat of the apple. It's only one apple, but the three are one. If you look at the Davis family, you find Dad Davis, Mom Davis, and you find two baby Davises. We are, we are singular, but we are one family. Does that help anybody in the house this morning? And so as we look, God introduces himself as the God Elohim. We begin to grasp that, that word Elohim, that plurality, that God wants to be available in body, soul, and spirit. The three areas of your life, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost ministers to the body, soul, and to the spirit. When Jesus, when Jesus met with his disciples, and history says that Jesus would go every night for hours and hours and hours. And Keith, he would stay up to 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and he would be alone with God. He would pray, and God would tell him what he was going to do that next day. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, can you teach us to pray the way that John's disciples prayed? There must have been a significant, something significant about the way that John's disciples prayed because it touched the disciples. And Jesus said in Luke 11 and 2, when you pray, say, our. And the word our is plural. That's where two or three bind anything, two or three loose anything. There's power in worship, there's power in praise, and there's power in prayer. When you and I come for 30 minutes on Sunday morning in worship and in praise, we touch the heart of God. Praise and worship is a ladder that reaches up and ex extends to where God is. Prayer is our, is our own dictation, our own devotion of declaring to him how good he is and then asking him for things that we need. And God is there to provide the things we need. It's not being selfish or it's not being stingy, but God has stuff that you need and God wants you to have it. The word says you have not because you ask not. A lot of us assume, well, God knows I need to be healed. Well, God knows I need a raise. Well, God knows I need to find a good wife. Well, God knows I need this and that. Yes, God knows all that, but he has commanded, ordered, not just suggested, commanded, ordered for, ask, for us to ask him of those things that we need. So when we bind together in prayer, where two or three touch on anything, it's bound in earth, it's bound in heaven, it's loose in earth, it's loose in heaven. That's the power of prayer. He said, when you pray, say, our Father. And that's the relationship that we have with him. We're not servants, we're not hirelings, we're not slaves. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. For God sent forth the Spirit of the Son in our heart that we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a Greek word that means daddy. Hebrew does not have a word that personal, so we borrow from the Greek language, and we get the word Abba, and that means daddy. And that's the relationship he wants to have with us, a healthy dad-son, dad-daughter relationship. But if you never had a healthy dad-son, dad-daughter relationship, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to, it's hard to focus on that. Maybe we can change that this morning before we leave. He said, when you praise the Our Father which art in heaven, hallow, and that name means worthy, honor, hallow be thy name. And early in this prayer, Jesus introduces us to the names of the Father. As you walk through the Word of God, and I won't, I won't do that this morning. I may do it at a later date. But as you walk through the Word of God, you'll find over 100 different names that relate to God. Over 100. When Moses saw the burning bush, was told to take his shoes off, and he had a conversation with God, God told him to go to Egypt to bring the children of e Egypt into the land of promise. Moses asked the question, whom shall I say sent me? What name am I going in? Am I going in the name of the United States of America? 
Am I going in the name of Napoleon Bonaparte? What name? What name? Who should I say, send me? And that's when God introduces us to that, the Yahweh, the Y-H-W-H, where we get the word Yehovah or Jehovah or Yahweh. And the word Yahweh simply means I am that I am. And that Yahweh means I will be whatever you need me to be. I will do whatever you need me to do. I will go wherever you need me to go. I will say whatever you need me to say. I'm in your life. I care about you, and I will satisfy, and I'll meet every need, every desire in your life if you'll simply acknowledge me. What a revelation. He is Jehovah. And when he introduces himself as Yahweh, he begins to introduce himself as a relational God. God is a relational God. I know as I started to talk, talk, talk about Courtney and, and Christine, I am, I am their dad, I am their father, I am their mentor, I'm their spiritual father. With Courtney, I have been her landlord, I have been her employer. So there's so many different levels of life that Courtney and I and Christine and I can connect and can relate to. Jesus said, when you gather together in my name, which we did this morning, and you begin to praise and worship me, I not only will be in your midst, but if you'll allow me to, I'll sing along with you. How crazy is that? That this morning we're talking about the name of God and we're talking, we were, we were singing, you are the word from the beginning. When we are singing in this environment, there is an anointed presence that's singing along with us. And I promise you, his voice is a lot more, <laughs> let me rephrase that. I promise you, his voice is certainly a lot more entertaining than my voice. And with, with my voice, it's called noise. It's not called music. But God said to make a joyful noise. So, so if, I, Melissa, if I do it with a smile on my face, so it's joyful, it's a joyful noise. And you know, there's only two people that sing worse than me. And that's Austin and Angel. Angel now is in heaven. And, and Angel and Austin, so I think if they competed for who has the worst voice, it would be a toss-up between the two of them. I'm not sure, but you know what? When I hear Austin belting out, and when I heard Angel belt, there was something inside my heart that began to stir because they did it from their heart, not because they're talented like Christine and, and Bailey. They do it because they love God. It's coming from their heart and their spirit. And we begin to sing and declare. The Lord begins to sing and declare, and he takes our voices, he takes our praise, he takes our worship to the throne of God, the presence of God, and he says, he says Father, tell the angels to be quiet. Tell the heavenly orchestra to take a, a selah because today we have a special guest all the way from Cleveland, Tennessee. Church of the Harvest will be the music for this morning. Church of the Harvest is going to enter our, our, our presence and our authority, and they're going to sing and they're going to worship. Now, Father, aren't they singing good? What would you like me to do and get down there and do it for them? I'm preaching better than your dog, but that's okay. So as we are introduced to this Jehovah, this relational name of God, I want to look at just a few of the Jehovah's that we're introduced to. One of the first Jehovah's that I want you to look at is Jehovah Jireh. And we know that word means the Lord, our provider. But that word, that name was introduced. Abraham is getting ready to offer his son Isaac on an altar. He has the wood. He has the fire. He's going to the mountain to, to, to sacrifice Isaac. He thought that's what God wanted him to do. He thought God told him to do that. God did not want him to do that. God wanted to see that he was willing to do that. A lot of times when God asks you to give things up, 
He doesn't really want you to give them up. He just wants to see if you're willing to give them up in order to have a better, closer, deeper relationship with him. And as they're headed to the sacrifice, Isaac probably is 20, 21 years of age, big old healthy boy. He looks at his dad and he says, Dad, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham answered this, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. I know I've read that a hundred times, but it literally says the Lord will provide Jesus the sacrifice. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's where the word Jehovah Jireh comes from. When we are serving God and we're praising God and we're sacrificing and we're giving to God and we're going without sometimes and we're blessing the things of God and the people of God, God said, I will supply all your need according to my riches and glory. God is not broke. God is wealthy. He owns, he owns the hills, the gold beneath, the cows above, everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything thereof and they that dwell therein. He owns everything. God will never go bankrupt. God will never be broke. And he's always there to loan us stuff without interest. Da, 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 da. Come on, people. Loan us stuff without interest. So he is our provider. Jehovah Tisaba is the Lord, our warrior. When David stood before Goliath, he said, you come to me with the sword and the shield and the spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's the word to Saba, and that means the Lord, our warrior. I am so pleased to tell you today that the Lord is fighting your battles. He's fighting the battle of cancer. He's fighting the battle of poverty. He's fighting the battle of discouragement. He's fighting the battle of depression. He's fighting the battle of fear, He's, of worry. Everything that would dare come against you, the Lord lifts up a standard against them. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he said, I am here. I am the Lord, the warrior. I'm here to, to defeat the enemy. And let me tell you something. He went to the belly of hell. He took away the keys of hell and of death. He slapped the devil in the face. He judged the demons and he came back and he ever lived at the right hand of the father making intercession for you and I. Aren't you glad this morning? What a friend we have in Jesus. We find he's called Jehovah Shalom in Judges 6 and 24. God calls Gideon, does some miracles, does the fleece, does the fire. Getting is freaking out. He's intimidated. He's afraid. He does, not, he does not where he stands in life, where he stands with his father, where he stands with the army that God is getting to raise up. God visits Gideon and said, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am your peace. You are not to be troubled. You're not to be frustrated. I got this. You're doing it for me. We're going to do it together. It's okay. Everything is going to be okay. Aren't you glad this morning that everything is going to be okay? It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of living God that has chosen you, ordained you, anointed you, and has sent you forth to do a great work because he knows before you were in your mother's womb that you had the ability to perform. He called you. He knew there'd be a bump. He knew there'd be a challenge. He knew there'd be some stuff, but he still thought that you would stay on course and you would accomplish that which he has acknowledged because that is your destiny, that is your legacy, and that is your purpose. And you have a purpose to live. And it's not just to fill up a chair, go to a job, drive a car, eat lunch, sleep at night. There's more to you than a bag of chips. Thank you. In Psalm 23... If you want to go there just for a minute, we find that he's Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. David being a baby and the family, he took care of the sheep. They're nasty, they're smelly, they're stupid. 
They get their necks hung in weird places. They fall off cliffs. They break their leg. David lived the life of a shepherd, shepherd and understood all the capacities and all the abilities and all the talents and all the things that a shepherd could do. Looking at Psalms 23, let me show you some things that David learned. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want for rest, because he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for refreshment, for he leadeth me beside still waters. I shall not want for restoration, because he restoreth my soul. I shall not want for direction, for he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I shall not want for fear, for yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I shall not want for comfort, because his rod and his staff comforts me. I shall not want for sustenance or prosperity, because thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want for anointing, for my cup runneth over. You anoint my head with oil. I shall not want for anything in this life which is to come, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall not want for anything in that life which is to come, for I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that bless anybody in this house? The Lord is my shepherd. In Exodus 17 and 15, we find Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our, ba our banner. The enemy and the people are God at war. As long as Moses is on the hill, as long as his hands are lifted, the victory is the Israelites. It's, I don't know if you've ever tried. There was a little game. I know that when you were in the service, uh, there was a game that the, uh, the servicemen would play. And they would hold out their hand, and they would put a silver, silver, silver dollar on their hand. And if they could hold their hand out for five minutes, that silver dollar was theirs. And then they would put another silver dollar for every minute. So every minute that you held your hand out, they would put a silver dollar on your hand. I don't know if you've ever tried to just stick your hand out there and hold it, but it's, 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 it's a lot of work. Huh. Does that help anybody in the building? So, so, so Moses is at battle. He's got his hands lifted. I, I, I'm, trying to re, I'm trying to remember how many times I've been to OC Island, lifted my hands so long that I had to sit down and take a break. Anybody there with me? But you know, he's got his hands lifted up. He's got his hands. You know what? It looks, it looks easy. Try to do it for 10 minutes. Try to do it for an hour. Try to do it for four hours. So while the, bat, while the battle, they're being warm, while his hands are up, he got, he got tired. He got hurting. He got a cramp. And his hands went down. All of a sudden, the battle turned, and the Philistines started winning the battle. Simply because of a moat and a position. I'm telling you, more battles will be won with your hands lifted in praise than any other body posture that you can take up. That you can possibly take up. More battles will be won through your praise and through your worship. So Aaron got on one side, and Ur got on the other, and they named it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner. Aren't you glad this morning who you represent? Aren't you glad this morning who represents you? Dave, uh, Proverbs said, I'm my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is loved. He calls you blessed. He calls you special. He calls you chosen because he loves you and because he wants to impact your life and make a difference in the life of everybody else that you're around. Thank you. Now, this next one is a scary one. Are you ready? Makadadishakim. Makadadishakim. The Lord who sanctifies. 
in Exodus, when they're getting ready to build the Ark of the Covenant, they're getting ready to build the tent, the seven pieces of furniture, all the things there, they were asked to sanctify each piece of equipment. And that's what God said, I will sanctify you, sanctify you through your truth. I remember in the church of God, a young kid, I remember we would have testimony services. Anybody remember testimony services? If you've never been in a testimony service, I always liked it because it meant that probably there wasn't going to be any preaching. I learned that when my dad did not have a fresh word or have the word prepared, he would always have a testimony service. So if I ever say we're going to have a testimony service, you know that I was lazy. I did not seek out the word of the Lord. But I remember in the testimony service, they would say three things. Can anybody help me? I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with heaven's Holy Ghost. And when you talk about sanctification, it means don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better way. I don't do the things that I used to do. I don't get drunk anymore. I don't get high anymore. I don't mess around anymore because that's not me anymore. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. You're a brand new creature, and you're going through a process of sanctification. It may take a while to go through every step. It may take a while to be sanctified. I don't know that it's a second definite work of grace. I know salvation is a definite work of grace. I know it be in the the Holy Spirit is a definite work of grace. So I don't know if sanctification happens right there at the altar or it happens as you begin to live your life, good decisions, right thoughts, right words, right actions. You begin to live your life for the glory of God. But that was the point here. God's saying, after I've saved you and redeemed you, I'm going to sanctify you so I can use you for my glory and my purpose. I am told, I don't know all about that, but I'm told after surgery, all the surgical instruments are placed in a vat that's filled with alcohol. And that alcohol kills every germ and kills all of, all of the bacteria, and it makes those, those knives and scissors that you can use them for the next surgery. And that's what the blood of Jesus does. When we are purged and purchased and covered by the blood, it sanctifies us. It sanctifies our mouth. It sanctifies our ears. It sanctifies our thought process. It sanctifies our emotions. It changes everything about us. Did you ever meet somebody that was just a punk, just a rat, just a, a pain in the, uh, the, the a pain, and all of a sudden they met Christ? They met Christ, and it was like, Wow, what happened to him? What, wow, what happened to her? I want what she's got. I want to eat what he's eating. I want to drink what he's drinking. There has been, there has been a change. Something has happened. You ask me why I'm happy, why sometimes and always shout, God put something in my heart that I can shout about. I remember that drug-infested night when I went down to that altar and knelt and asked Jesus to come in my heart. I remember standing up at that very moment. I never took another drink. I never smoked another cigarette. I never drank another beer. I never used any more cocaine. I was instantaneously at that very moment cleansed and purged, and that was 38 years ago, and I'm looking for 38 more clean by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our, whatever that word was. In Exodus 15 and 16, we find that he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. God brings them all out of Egypt into the wilderness. There's a fountain there. 
and they go to drink the fountain, and the water's bitter. First complaint of journey. They start complaining. We had water in Egypt. You brought us out here to die. It started a process of 40 years of complaining. Because of their mouth, the negativity, negativity, they never got to go into the promised land. God points a tree out to Moses. Moses cuts the tree, strips the branches, puts the tree in the water, and the water becomes sweet, and they're able to drink. And that's when the Lord promises them, if you obey me and you follow me, and you do what my word says to do, then none of the diseases of the Egyptians will come upon, you, come upon you, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. And aren't you glad this morning that there was a tree that hung between heaven and earth, and the body of Christ was nailed to that tree, and when the blood flowed through that tree, it turned everything bitter, sweet, Everything bad, good. Everything lost, found. Everything black, white. Everything wrong, right. Because of Calvary, because of the blood of Jesus, we are new creatures and we're enjoying all that he has for us because now we drink from that living fountain that stirs up that, 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 that feeling in our, in our belly that there's a fire shut up in our bones. That's what Ezekiel said. It's all over. We used to sing that song. Well, it's all over me and it's keeping me alive. I don't remember you singing that or not, but there's just something about drinking from that fountain and knowing who you are and receiving all that God has for you. And then we find... Jehovah to Sig Canoe, which talks about restoration. I have learned that there are many times in life when restoration was better than recreation. I was um, somewhere, I was at Ronnie's Body Shop, and um, there was a Boss 302 in the garage, and uh, they had taken this car completely apart. It was from the north, and it had that salt rotted out. The floorboards were rotted out. They took this car right down to the nut and bolt and washer and completely rebuilt the car. They put a Boss 302 with about 600 horsepower. They did the real nice uh, upholstery, the real nice radio. It had real nice lights on it. And what I learned that day, that the restoration of the original was better than the original. Think about that for a minute. The restoration of the original was better than the original. In other words, when God starts working on your life, the clay was in the hands of the potter, remember? And it got wounded. So the potter took it and made it a better vessel than had originally planned. Had you gone your whole life like Grandma Carolyn, never smoked, drank, or chewed, or hung out with those that do? Had you lived your life holy and spotless and, and awesome? You would have never been able to reach people in your life because of your testimony, because of the scars, the, 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 the dangers, toils, and snares that we have in our life, because bad stuff happened to us, and we survived, and then God has turned around and restored us and made us better creatures than what we had originally planned. Just factor for a moment, no God in your life the past 30 years. Where would you be? What would you be doing? Where would you be at? Financially, where would you be at? Mentally, where, where, where would you be at? The song says, I was lost and undone without God or his son. But aren't you glad that he performed restoration on you? He restored you and made you better than new. I'm getting excited. And I conclude with the last one, which is Emmanuel. 
Isaiah 7 and 14, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, for he shall save his people from their sins. Here we find this God that's the God of all the things that we just described becoming personal and dwelling and living with us. Here's what's cool. When Jesus comes, he knows the will of the Father. He knows the cry of your heart. And in our worship, Jesus begins to walk around and begins to declare. Pastor Todd might be struggling a little financially. So Jesus comes as Pastor Todd is worshiping, and he's not that great of a singer either, and worshiping, and Jesus says, Pastor Todd, my name is Jehovah Jireh. I'm the Lord that provides. And all of a sudden, right there, he receives the fact that Jehovah Jireh is watching over his life. Then the Lord walks, and he walks, and touches Brother Norman, who's been a little sick lately. Brother Norman, I am Jehovah Rophah. I am the Lord that heals. And Brother Norman all begins to feel the power of that name, the power of God. If we're going through guilt, he said, I'm the Lord, your righteousness. If we feel alone and depressed and discouraged, he said, I'm the Lord, your banner. So he walks around the congregation introducing you to a name that you need to hear because that name has the power to change your life. A little music Austin. Several years ago, there were no airplanes. There were just boats. There was a man that accepted a place, I believe it's somewhere off the coast of India, to go and be a missionary. He wasn't sure how they would receive him. As far as he knew, there were no Christians on that island. But he felt in his heart of hearts, that's where he's supposed to go. So he went. Packed everything he owned in a, like those plastic milk carts, you know, the big heavy-duty milk carts. And every day at lunchtime, when all the villagers would come to buy their food, they shopped every day because they didn't have refrigeration, couldn't keep their food, eggs and stuff fresh. So every day they'd go to, the, to the, the courthouse, and there they would buy, and there they would purchase. And he would put that, that milk cart, and he would stand on it. And every day while they were at grocery shopping, he would preach a salvation message. He would tell them about a man called Jesus that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. He would tell them about a man that when he was 12 years old, he confounded the scholars in the temple. A man that was 30 years old, he turned the water into wine. He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the leper cleansed. Every day he preached the same sermon. Every day he gave an altar call. No one ever got saved. The weeks turned into months, the months turned into years, 20 years of what he felt like was a fruitless ministry. He made a decision, I'm going home. God's done with him. He got word out to the mainland that he wanted to be picked up. Several weeks later, this big ship pulled into port. He put everything on back in that milk cart and he walked on the plank of that ship and got on that ship and he stood there holding onto the rail looking at the place where he'd spent 20 years of life. As the ship pulled the plank up, pulled the anchor up, set sail and began to move away from the dock, he looked and he saw an older, an older native running along, keeping up with the ship. And the older native shouted out, missionary, before you came, no one talked about that man. 
Now that you're leaving, no one will talk about him again. So missionary, would you say his name? Just one more time. The missionary shouted back and said, his name is Jesus. Stood there for a minute, then we got the captain. He said, Captain, take me back. God's not done with me. The captain said, I thought you was frustrated. I thought you felt like you had no fruit. I thought you were going to go to another place and, and be a missionary. He said, I thought so too. He said, but you know what, Captain? There's one there that wants to hear his voice, hear his name. And as long as there's one, God's not done with me. As every head is bowed, as every head is closed. Today, God is not done with you. He's not done with your testimony. He's not done with your statement. He's not done with your service. God is bringing people into your life that desperately need to hear the name Jesus. There's something mystical about that name. There's something supernatural about that name. You can say the name Kennedy. You can say the name Johnson. You can say the name Churchill. But it does not do anything like when you say the name Jesus. There's a higher anointing anointing attached to that and God has put you right in the middle of a of a lion's den God has put you right in the middle of a fiery furnace God has put you right in the middle of an environment that is godless does not know the things of God he didn't put you there to punish you he didn't put you there to test you or try you he put you there to be a light he put you there to be a witness he put you there to be a testimony that he has ordained your words. He's orchestrated your words. He's putting you at a place where you can make a difference in the life of somebody that you're around. And as long as there's someone there that wants to hear his name, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't be frustrated. Don't feel like you have no fruit. Don't feel like your life has been wasted. God is using you right where he wants you to be. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, if you're here this morning and you've wandered away from the things of God and you're not where you need to be and you know it, I promise I won't embarrass you or bring attention to you. Say, Pastor Hank, I'm just really not where I need to be right now with the Lord. I'm not, I'm not at a place where I feel comfortable with Him. I just, some things going on. I just kind of wandered away a little bit. Uh, and I want to acknowledge that. If that's where you're at this morning, just put your hand up, put it right back down. Is there one? Yes, is there another? Yes, is there another? Is there one more? God sees every hand, but more importantly, God sees the heart. And he sees the purity of your heart, the desires of your heart, the love of your heart. And that's what God is going to build on. That's what God is going to focus on, the purity, the love, the desire of your heart. And God is going to make the crooked places straight. And God's going to level mountains, and God's going to build a road in the driest wilderness with refreshment. God's going to restore you back to where you want to be. God's going to restore you back to where He wants you to be. His hand is on your life. And today we recommit our heart to the Lord. Be the Lord of our life. Be the Adonai. Be the Lord of our life. Be that, be that Elohim. Be in every area of our life. Be Jehovah. Be that relational God that we need. Touch us. Anoint us by your power and by your blood and by your name. In Jesus' name. And you all said. There were four this morning that have recommitted their heart to the Lord. Can we give the Lord a hand of a